may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, really quickly raise, it, raise your hand so that way the ushers can get you an outline. As always, um, keep the hands up so that way they can make sure that you get one. As always, the reason for these outlines, very important, is two things. Number one is so that way you are able to take notes during the sermon. You can follow along in the beginning of the outline with me, and you can um, follow along in the introduction. But also, secondly, is because we get together weekly in our homes, um, different homes, and we discuss the sermons, we discuss the preaching. And so if you're able to take notes, then that will be helpful for you so that way you're able to add to the discussion and you're able to participate in that. You can write down questions. And so that's a beautiful thing for us to be able to do. And if you are not part of a Connect Life group, I believe, I believe, is this the last Tuesday of the month coming up? Is this the last, this right? So this is actually our last week of Connect. Somebody say, hmm. Right, he's sad, right? I know you want to be connecting all the time, right? But nonetheless, we still are going to connect during the summertime. It won't be weekly. Um, it'll be monthly. We'll get together, different fellowships for each of the Connect Life groups. But what I want you to realize, and, and before I get into this, to, to the message, I want you to realize how important Connect Life groups are. Um, one of the, the, the underlying theme is that life is meant to be shared. And the one thing that is so very important for us is that we are not called, there's no one that is called to be an island as a Christian. Are you hearing me? Right? We're called to be in relationship with one another. And so that means that we should be connected. We should get together and be with each other so we can pray for one another, so we can encourage one another. I was so blessed. You know, my mother-in-law, for those of you that don't know, she just had a knee replacement surgery um, last week. And, you know, she had to come to our house to stay with us because, you know, her room has carpet. So because of the knee replacement, she can't move on the carpet right away. And so she's been at our house. And so I've been the benefactor, amen, of this thing called the food train, glory to God. And um, glory to, I just want, can, can we just give God a hand of praise for the food train? Praise. The, if anyone's been blessed by the food train, you're about to get loud up in here. I'm just saying, right? Because they, they come over and they bless your life, right? I mean, it, it is an amazing thing. But you want to know something? If we don't share life together, then guess what don't happen? The food train don't happen. Hello? Right? I mean, I'm just saying, when we go through difficult situations in our lives, it's good to know that there are some people there that care enough, you know, who think about you, who are praying for you. It's not just about the meal, you know, because they don't just drop and go, you know, like, you know, Pastor, Pastor Aldo says, you know, this is a drop and stay. And so, you know, the, the folks come and they, you know, see Martha, have a little bit of fellowship. But the whole point is that you wouldn't do that, you know, you wouldn't feel comfortable if we didn't have relationship. Listen, Sunday morning is not enough time to have relationship with each other. Are you hearing me? I'm doing most of the talking. Are you hearing that? Glory to God, right? So you get to hear me, but you don't get to hear each other. You don't get to, you know, really. I mean, I usually have you grab hands, pray for one another, things like that. But really to be able to share life together, it has to go beyond these four walls. And listen, I know we all have different personalities. We all have different mindsets. But can I tell you something? Personalities and mindsets must bow down to the word of God. I'm just saying, right? personalities, mindsets, attitudes, thought process, got to bow to the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that we are supposed to, that we're supposed to enjoy fellowship with one another. And so I encourage you, if you're not part of a life group, you know, like I said, this is the last week for them meeting weekly, but I encourage you, make, a, make it a point to connect during the summer. Get with Pastor Chad, you know, get with one of the pastors, you know, one of the connect um, group leaders, um, and find out what they're going to be doing so that way you can participate during the summer, start connecting during the summer, and then in the fall when we get back together, that you can get connected. Amen? Amen? All right. That's my plug for Connect for today. So we are going to get in. We, got a lot of, we have a lot of material. Say a lot of material. We got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, first of all, I want to thank Pastor Chad. Can we put our hands together for Pastor Chad? I appreciate him covering the pulpit last week for me and staying within the series and the flow. Um, I heard the sermon, did a great job, and so I really appreciate that. He's not a heretic. Amen. Glory to Jesus. For those of you who don't know, heretic means false teacher. He's not a false teacher. He taught good word, and so we appreciate him for that. We appreciate his faithfulness in sharing the scriptures. And so we're going to continue on in the gospel series that we're doing in the gospel of John, the real Jesus. And we're going to cover the entire, say the entire chapter 5. Amen. Glory to God. I think that's like 47 verses or something like that. There's a lot of verses in here that we're going to cover, but I promise you, right, I'm going to talk fast. I promise you that. That's one thing that's going to happen. Uh, that's a guarantee every week. The second thing that is going to happen is we're going we're, to we're, we're stay focused, right? And, and I'm going to try not to run off on rabbit trails because I want us to get through. There's a lot of good stuff, and that was easy for me to say, you know, I just won't preach this part, but every time that I try to do that, I'm serious. Every time that I try to do it, you know, something 
something happens, someone comes and, you know, speaks or something, or, you know, the schedule, the preaching schedule gets thrown off because, you know, I planned it out for the year. Um, I'm like, well, you know, maybe I can just not preach this part. But then when I read it, I'm like, man, but they got to hear that. Glory to God. So at minimum, we're going to read through this together. We're going to look at some things that are in these scriptures. So let's get into this. And, and the outline here, we went, we went through the first few verses. And so we'll talk about this. But as we continue, um, as we have been establishing, the purpose of this book is found in the memory verse for this series. And so the memory verse is this. And please um, repeat after me, say, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, that, that, that is the heart of this book that is written, and the purpose and intent of this series is to build our faith and understanding of who Jesus is. And so I assume most of us, we know who Jesus is, right? We have a, an understanding of who he is, but we're supposed to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who he is. We're supposed to continue to learn. And, and here's the thing that I'm going to ask you this question at the end, right? But I want to point this out to you right now. I want you to think about this, because as we're going through the scriptures, there, there, there has to be something inside of us that says that I need to make disciples, right? Because I am a disciple, so I should be making disciples. Making disciples requires two things. Say two things. The one is the evangelization. Say evangelization. The one is the evangelization of the lost, and the second one is the edification. Say the edification. And the second one is the edification of believers. And so you, we say this every week, right? We, we go through, we're committed to loving God. We're committed to growing together. We're committed to reaching others. We're committed to serving. And, you know, on behalf of, you know, Bishop, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And then he says, and we are committed to what? Reaching the lost and... And so that right there covers those two areas. But here's the thing, that you and I should be concerned about growing as a disciple. And the best way that you grow, the best way that I grow is by what? Is by sharing what I'm learning. Are you hearing me? And so what happens is, I want you to think about this, whose faith are you building? I want you to think about that throughout this sermon. I want you to think about whose faith am I building? Here's what I want to tell you. Every week we get up here and we equip you to build someone's faith. You hear me? Every week, and this is not to be condemning, this is not to make you feel bad. I just want you to realize what occurs week after week. Week after week, you're receiving the word of God. Week after week, we're going through this book, this gospel of John that is about what? It's so that way people can believe and have life. It's not just to prove facts about Jesus, but it's so that way we can have life. And what is the point of having life if you're not going to share that life? What is the point of having and receiving something from the Lord, but not sharing that with those who need it? And so my question for us as a church is, whose faith are you building? In other words, whose life are you pouring into? Whose life are you making a difference? Because here's the, here's the thing. Not everybody is called to get up and stand behind a pulpit and preach. Not everybody is called to lead a connect life group and lead big discussions. But everybody in the church is called to make disciples everybody. No one gets a pass. Are you hearing me? All of us are called to make disciples. And so when we're looking at this, we have this, the scriptures before us and we're going through the gospel of John. And so we give you the opportunity to do what? To take this and pass it on to someone else. And that's the way that I think that we should do it. So second paragraph here, in this portion of John, we will see a transition from reservation and hesitation about Jesus, about Jesus as, as Messiah to outright rejection, persecution, and the planning of his death. And so in this chapter, what we've seen thus far is that people have been kind of on the fence about who Jesus is, right? They've kind of questioned who he is. They're not sure who he is. But in this portion, what we see is there's like this line drawn in the sand and it's clear that what? You know what? We're going to plan this guy's death. From this point forward, we're thinking about killing him because of some of the things that he's going to claim in this, in, 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 in this um, portion of scripture here. And so we see that transition. At the same time, continuing on reading here, at the same time, we see Jesus' miracle claims. He does one miracle in this chapter, his claims and affirmation, which should strengthen our faith. Our strengthened faith should 
should lead us to a bolder witnessing within a culture that is clearly opposed to biblical conviction and proclamation of the absolute truth of Scripture. Let me say that again. Our strengthened faith should lead us to a bolder witnessing. In other words, we should become more bold. We should become more vocal. We should become more convicted, convinced, and convincing of the truth that God has given us in his word, right? Can you lower me a little bit, Ben, please? I need to, I need to come down a little bit here. Um, I can't, I can't talk any longer. I could whisper, right? That would be helpful. But anyway, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but what we have here is we have God communicating and showing us that, that, that he's given us these tools, right? So we can become bolder witnesses. But I want you to realize why boldness is necessary. Because we live within a culture that is clearly opposed to biblical conviction and proclamation of the absolute truth of Scripture. I want to give you just one example, one case in point. I was, um, this, the, earlier this week, Eli, um, he sent me me a text message. He's going through his um, humanities class. And as he's going through his humanities class, this is a required course in college, right? So for those of you that are in college, you're going to have to go through this. And the way that they teach Christianity, you know what Christianity is in your humanities course, right? It is a myth. It is not a truth. It is a myth, right? And so that's problematic because he's like so sad. And I said, it's, it's sad because we're teaching something that is truth as a myth, as a myth. And what is the, what, what is the reason that, you know, we, we, or that this is being, this is happening? I don't know, but it's just whatever. They can say, you know, separation of church and state. They can give whatever. It doesn't matter. Here's the point. The point is that we live in a culture that does not, that, that, it, that is intolerant of those who say there is an absolute standard of truth. Like we were praying this morning. We're praying for our Supreme Court. Listen, I hope y'all are praying, right? Because even though, you know, I I mean, just being realistically, and, not, and, and I'm not trying to be like a pessimist, but even though it looks like, you know, the vote for the marriage thing is going to go in the opposite direction of Scripture, we still know that God is God, right? We still know that there is hope in God and that God can intervene in those chambers and that God can, can rock someone's world and be like, yo, we cannot go in this direction. I mean, that's just realistic. But, you know, the truth is that we're praying for this, right? We should be praying, you know, for the, the will of God, for the word of God to be adhered to and reverence, right? That there should be some understanding of these truths that we hold dear, right? And so, there, but there's an intolerance for the truth. But you know what? That should make you be quiet, it shouldn't make you cower. See, because what the, what the enemy wants you to think is that there's something wrong. I loved it because as Lizelle was praying, she said two things as she prayed. If y'all were here, you heard her say this. She said, Lord, let us stand for your laws, but let us show them love. You see, and here's the thing. There's no problem with saying, you know, hey, man, this is the law. I still love you. Remember when you were a child, for, for those of you that are older, you remember your parents said something to you when they were about to spank you or after they spanked you? They said, this hurt me more than it hurt you, right? Tell me how they lying. Listen, your butts are hard, man. Like it hurt them more than you think. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what they, what's your parents? Listen, I don't know about you, but when I, I don't, I don't get joy out of spanking my children. Are you hearing me? Right? I, I, I don't get joy out of that. There's the, there, it's, it's not like, man, yes, I get to beat them today. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that, that's just not like, you know, the thing that happens in my heart. You know, like, yes, I was looking forward to that. You know, I remember when we were kids, I was telling my wife the other day, one of my brothers, I don't remember which one it was, and it could have been me. I, you know, I could just be having like a brain lapse or something like that. But I remember my mom used to have to beat one of us every morning before we went to school. And on the way to school, she'd be like, I hate spanking you before school. I hate to send you off in your day crying and all, all sad. And I, you know, the the whole point is that there is a reality, right? Like, we don't enjoy that. And so as Christians, here's the thing. We don't, we don't enjoy this, but you know what happens? What happens is we need to stand for God's law, but we need to be loving in our hearts. We need to know what the scriptures teach and not be afraid to proclaim that truth no matter who it is. No matter, you know, you've seen that movie. How many of y'all seen that movie, God is Not Dead? Right, right? And so, you know, even though that is, that is not a, a true story, right? It's more true than we realize. A lot of you that are in college, you've been through some experiences like that, right? You've had teachers that have been like questioning your beliefs. But the truth is we need to love God with all of our heart. We need to love our neighbors as ourselves, And we need to share the truth of God without compromise. Amen.
And so the last thing I'll say here in the outline, and we'll continue on in the messages, no other religion or faith group can claim that God in the flesh is their leader and founder. No other faith group can claim that. And here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus claims enable us to live and share our faith in full confidence in a resurrected Savior who walked this earth, made clear claims to his deity, and affirmed his claims. And so today we're going to talk about miracle claims and affirmation, and those are the three things that we'll look at. And here is the big idea, if I could give you one thing that I want you to hold on to, and it is this. Jesus' miracles, claims, and affirmation of his deity call us to a living faith. I'll say that again. Jesus' miracles, claims, and affirmation of his deity call us to a living faith. You guys hear me pray this almost every week. I say, Father, don't let us be idle hearers of your word, but let us be faithful doers of your word. This morning I add respondents, but the point is I pray that weekly, not because I want to be redundant, but two things. Number one, I mean it from the depth of my heart that I don't want us to just hear the word of God being preached. I want us to live the word of God. But the second thing is I think through repetition, hopefully it keeps awake in our hearts that man, it's not time to check out during the sermon or wait to hear something that I want to hear, but I need to hear what the spirit of God is speaking to me so that way I can live the truth of God's word. This is important for us. And every sermon that I preach, it's always on the premise of God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Like, when I say that, I mean for me. Like, God, what do you want me to do? How is my life supposed to be changed? When I'm getting ready to prepare and present this message, how am I supposed to live out the truths of Scripture? And I pray that you do the same things that as you're praying, because I know you pray for me weekly, amen. I know that you pray for these sermons. I know that you pray for my preparation. I know that you pray that God prepare the heart of the person next to you. Amen, somebody. I'm just saying, right? I know that you pray that folks go to bed early so they're not falling asleep during the sermon. Hello, somebody, right? I know, I know you go to bed early every night and you wake up expecting. Amen, glory to God. I know those are all the holy things you do, right? And so when, we, when you pray, you know, my hope is that you are really praying and asking the Spirit of God to speak to me, to speak through me, and that you would listen and be a doer of the word. Amen? And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me in way of points is say this, Jesus' miracles, or Jesus' miracle, I'm sorry. Say it again, come on, come on, y'all all all right. Jesus' miracle is an expression of God's grace and a call for our participation. What's up, y'all? Y'all, 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 y'all can't repeat something twice. I'm just saying, like, you know, you said it once, like, all right, Bishop, we said it once. We're not saying it no more. Is that, is that, is that how it is? All right, all right, my bad. Jesus' miracle is an expression of God's grace and a call for our participation. And so we looked at verses 1 through 15. I just want to read verse 16, look at it really quickly. It says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. And so what it shows here, like I said, is there is this transition, right? There's a transition that takes place. But what I want you to realize is that Jesus heals a man who was incapable of healing himself, had been in the condition for 38 years, and didn't even know who healed him. This is a picture of our sinful world and God's grace in dealing with us. Are you here? This is a guy who is sitting there. He has no way of getting from the side of this pool into the pool for him to be healed. And when Jesus comes to him, he shows that he has no faith of being healed. It's crazy because you would think, right, somebody who was in a place where healing takes place, that there would be some kind of faith in him, right? Instead, all he communicated was what was hindering him from being healed. That tells us something, right, that there's people that you would think they're in a place of faith. Church, hello, somebody, right? They should believe that God can work some stuff out, that God can do some things, but a lot of people don't even have faith. Are you here? A lot of people don't believe that God can really do. A lot of people quote scripture like Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, but they don't believe that. Jesus can do this miracle like we've heard of what Jesus has done, but do you believe that Jesus is not done doing what he did? Hello. 
Are you here? Do you, do, do you believe that Jesus isn't finished, right? But that Jesus is continuing to work in our days, that Jesus can still do great and mighty things. See, because I'm of the belief that my Jesus really is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Like when I pray that, I mean that. I believe that. I believe that my Savior is able, according to the book of Ephesians, to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to what? The power that is working in us. Today, the day of Pentecost, right? And we're remembering what? The power of God that has been deposited in our lives and that way we can do what? So we can have faith to live for the glory and the honor of Jesus. But this guy, he's in a place of miracles. He's in a place where things happen and he's not even like, try, look, if I was him, I think I would have just tried to roll. Like even after someone else, I would say, I'm going to roll up in here and I'm going to drown, but you know what? I'm, something's going to happen, right? But the whole thing was that they were superstitious, right? And they, 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 they thought this angel went down there and even some um, original manuscript scripts don't contain like that verse that talks about the angel going down in the water and many people believe that that's added there because just showing what the superstition it wasn't about the angel it wasn't about the water it was about the healing that could take place that was what was occurring some people were experiencing healing because of their faith Jesus walks on the scene and he's like look man you want to be healed God's like I have no one to do this and I love this I, I, I have to I have to point this out I love what he says. He says, he says this. Look, look at verse 7. He said, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And look what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, rise. And I like another translation it says, rise up. Take up your bed and walk. Look at that. He's worried about stepping down. Jesus is saying, step up. Right? See, God don't want us to step down, right? We, we're already humbled, right? We recognize these beautiful things that we talk about. And, and you know, the gospel, the truth that we, that we realize, God wants to bring us up. That's the whole point of the Son of God coming to this earth. He came to our level to bring us up. Why? Because we can't bring ourselves up. Hello. And so we see this man who is in need of a miracle. He's in need of being changed by the power of God. And to be sure, as I said, our world is stuck in sin under the sway of evil. And yet the same Jesus who found this man, listen to what I'm saying, who found this man is walking among us, is walking within us, and is walking with us to bring salvation to a hurting world. The same Jesus that we see in the pages of Scripture is the same Jesus who is walking among us, who is walking in us. He lives in us. He dwells. He takes residence in us. And he is walking with us wherever we go, especially when we are going in his name to bring his word to a hurting and dying world. That same Jesus is there. And so here's what I want you to realize. It is of the utmost importance that as we attempt to bring healing to the hurting and minister to the immediate needs of those we can help in our culture, that we do not fail to address the ultimate need, and that is found in the gospel message which addresses our sin. Listen, this guy was sick, right? His immediate need was a physical healing, right? And we have people around us that they have immediate needs. There may be something that they need food. It may be, you know, that they need some kind of encouragement. It may, need, it may be that they need help doing something. There's all kinds of immediate needs. And let me tell you something, church. We should be sensitive to those immediate needs because those are gospel opportunities. Are you here? We need to be sensitive to those immediate needs, but we cannot leave it at the immediate need. Well, you know, I <clears throat> fed the person. Right? I fed the person who was sick or I, I fed the person who was hungry and I just leave it there. You know, I, I, can't, I can't remember who it was, but somebody <clears throat> posted on Facebook. They had a conversation with, with a homeless person and they actually took them, you know, brought them somewhere to eat, you know, food. And they had a whole gospel conversation and they made it clear and they made it abundantly, abundantly clear that this wasn't them just doing a good deed just to do a good deed. But they were doing this in the name of the Lord. And see, the one thing that is so uncomfortable for us to talk about is this word called sin. Say sin. It's, it's a word that many of us don't want to, you know, like when we're doing something good, like we don't want to dampen the moment. When we're doing something nice for someone, we don't want to mess up the mood because we bring sin into the, into the conversation. And all of a sudden, people don't think we're so nice. Listen, Jesus died for our sin. 
He died for our sinfulness because we are all born into sin. And, and look, look, sin is what separates us from God and promises us what? Condemnation for all of eternity. But Jesus dies in our place so that way what? So he can deal with our sin problem. So he can take away this stench of sin, this stain of sin. So he can take away this stronghold of sin in our lives. And he can deliver us and he can bring us into a right relationship with him and restore us in our relationship with the Father. So this is what God wants to do with us. And you know what? If we never talk about sin, people don't ever know why they need a Savior. If you're real, I mean, if you're really real about it, you know, go talk to someone. Go tell them, man, you know, Jesus died for you. They're going to be like, why did he die for me? If they've never heard the gospel before, if they've never been in church before, if they know nothing about sin, why is he dying for me? See, I can't talk about the death of Jesus without talking about the sin problem that every man on the planet has. But the beauty of it is I don't have to get stuck in the sin problem. I can get stuck on the salvation solution. I can deal with the reality that he died and he rose again. He died for my sin. He rose so I could have life. He rose so I could have a new identity. He rose so he could guarantee me the power over sin. He could guarantee me this life, this new identity. And I can see those are the things that I can major on and look at. You know what? God saved me so that way we can do good works and we can live for his glory and his honor. You see, we have to be okay with communicating about sin. Jesus did. Jesus came back to this guy, but I love what Jesus did. It's like Jesus did the good thing first, and then he came back and said, sin no more. Don't think that your sin issue doesn't matter, because that's what happens sometimes. Some people think that their sin doesn't matter anymore once the good thing happened for them. Once that answer to their prayer occurred, well, I don't need to worry about anything else. I can continue living how I'm living. No, no, no. Sin no more, lest the worst thing happen to you. Second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, Jesus claims of his deity sets our faith apart from all other faiths. Jesus' claims of his deity sets our faith apart from all other faiths. Read with me from verses 17 to verse, 9, to, to verse 30 here. And it says here, it says, But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now. Now remember, these people were all upset because Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath. And Jesus comes out and he tells them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. So what is he saying? He's saying he's working, I'm working. So we're working together. Verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raised the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I want to pause for a moment because he says here, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. And so that's one of those tensions that we see in much of Jesus' communication sometimes where he's like talking about the hour is now and then something is also coming. And so he's speaking of two things here. And one is he says, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. See, the time now is is when those who are dead in their sin will hear the, the, the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live, that's now, and then also in the future in the resurrection, and he'll get more into that, the dead will rise as well as they will hear the voice of the Son of God. And verse 28 says, for as the Father has a life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to exercise judgment also because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth, and those who have done good, now listen, you got to pay attention to this here, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, and so all are going to be resurrected, it's just we're going to two different places, and verse 30 says, I can of myself do nothing, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And so Jesus performs this miracle on the Sabbath day. And then what you have to realize, and Jesus is notorious for this, if you look at his life and his ministry, he does a miracle to set up a message. You see, he'll do something miraculous simply to open the way of dialogue, to open the way of conversation. And so Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, tells him to do something that broke the traditions of man, not the laws of God. Hear what I'm saying? Jesus never broke the laws of God and would never tell anyone to break the laws of God. The tradition of men said that they couldn't carry their mat or anything like that on this Sabbath day. Now, what I want you to realize is that his whole miracle was about the message. It's about this message that we just read, which are these claims that he communicates. The Sabbath day miracle wasn't the greater message, but the underlying message. And so he talked about who was really on the scene. He was saying he is one with God. The religious leaders, and I want you to hear this because I think that we need to see this for what it is. The religious leaders were striving for perfection. And what they were doing was they were adding laws to law to the laws of God to try to please God. So can I tell you something? Their original motive was correct. Because what they wanted to do is they understood God said, be holy as I am holy. And see, all throughout history of Israel, they understood what holiness is. See, we, we don't get holiness. See, in our days, we really don't get holiness. Because if we got holiness, we wouldn't do half the things we do. And think it's okay. Because I pro I'm just being real now. And I said we. I didn't say you. I said we. Hello. All of us. Right? Much of the stuff that we do that we think, oh, God's going to just forgive me, that's a lack of understanding of holiness. Some of the things we say, like, you know, those things that just come out of my mouth and I can just communicate how I want, we do those things because we don't understand holiness. Some of the attitudes that we have, and the, so we don't understand holiness, but these people understood holy meant different, separate, and, and they realized that holiness was connected with something else, and it was called judgment. Hello. You see, God judges based on his holiness, not our standards, his standards. God judges. That's the reason why we preach the gospel every week, because we want everyone to know, listen, you can never be good enough to save yourself. You and I need the gospel to save us. We need, and look, and, and, and I'll take it further because we as Christians who are believers, we need the gospel as well. And so you know what that means? What that means is that I can't keep myself because I'm good enough. All of a sudden, well, I said a prayer, I made a commitment, I was baptized in water, and now I'm just good enough. No, no, no. We are never good enough. But God, but God, he's good enough. His grace is sufficient. His grace keeps us. And oh yes, he's making us more like him, but we will still fall short. So these people, these Pharisees, these scribes, these lawyers, what they were trying to do was they were trying to please God. They're like, man, we know God is holy. We know God is righteous. We know God's standards are higher than ours. And so in order to try to appease God and to really appear holy, what they did was they add laws to his laws. And then those traditions, they got mixed up. And what they did was they equated their traditions with the laws of God, which is problematic. Because instead of them rejoicing in a miracle that someone who had for 38 years been laying by a pool and was incapable of walking or doing anything else, you know what their question was? What are you doing carrying your mat? Their question was, what are you doing? It's unlawful to carry your mat. Instead of saying, wow, you were 38 years? I mean, let's rejoice together on this Sabbath holy day. Hello. Right? Instead, they were more concerned about their tradition being dishonored. And so what we have to realize is that we can get caught up in the same stuff, y'all. Because here's the heart. The heart is that we should desire to please God, right? That should be the goal, right? I mean, that's the vision of Faith Doma Fellowship, to please God. We want to please him. We want to honor him. And the way we do that is by living our lives by faith. But we can easily get caught up and become very pharisaical. Hello. It's easy to do. It's easy to happen, especially when you start to feel like you've arrived. Hello. You start to feel like, you know, you're holier than other people. You know, you turn your TV off more than other folks. You don't even turn your TV on. Hello. 
right? You don't go to the movies, you know, you don't use foul language. I mean, you, you just holy, 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 hello. So add you to the Trinity, glory to God. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, it's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to become so pious, so, you know, devout and, and, and start to feel like we can look down at other people and like people have to live to our standards. Well, if I don't, if, if I, if I don't go to that place, you can't go to that place. If I don't partake of that, you can't partake of that. Hold on a second. Let's, let's stick to the word. Amen, somebody. Let's let this be the standard for our lives. But these Pharisees, they got caught up. And so here's the problem. The problem was their traditions were blinding them from the most important thing, which is what? Jesus, the Son of God, was among them. Jesus, they were so concerned with their traditions that they missed God walking among them. They were so concerned. Listen, in the, in the Ephesian church, in the book of Revelation, y'all remember that church? They were so concerned with having every, every, every doctrine correct and perfect that they missed God walking among them. So what does that tell me? That tells me that after the cross, we're no different. Are you hearing me? We still get caught up in our traditions and our mindsets. Jesus makes three huge claims. You can write these down. Very important. Verses 17 to 18, Jesus claims equality with God. And some of your Bibles should have a little heading there, and you're seeing this when it goes along. So I'm not giving you anything that's not already there. I just want you to understand what he's saying. He is saying he is equal with God. He's saying he is equal with the Father. There's no question. Can I tell you why you know there's no question? Because they make it clear that they want to kill him because he makes himself equal with God. So don't let anyone tell you, well, Jesus really never claimed deity. Oh, yes, he did. He claimed it to the degree that they decided today, you know what, that's it. This guy's got to die because he is, he, he is saying something that no one should be able to say that he's equal with God. The second thing that Jesus claims is he claims equality with God and power. So he's equal with God in nature. He's equal with God in power, right? He is able. The Father gives life and he gives life. And so the same thing that the Father does, he's able to do. He brings them back to where? He brings them back to creation. In the beginning, the Bible says what? That God created man from the dust of the ground. And then God did what? God breathed the breath of life into him. He gave man life and man became a living soul. And so it's the same thing. Jesus is saying, look, the same way my Father gave life, I give life. So he's equal with God in power. He's equal with God in nature. And then the third thing is he, he claimed equality with God in authority or judgment. He says, my judgment is right because I do what? I judge what I see and the Father shows me and all my So he's saying my judgment, my authority that I have are equal with that of God the Father. See, here's the thing. Jesus shows us his heart because when you read the scriptures that we just read, notice something. There's that continual underlying thing that he shows us his heart is to offer life in place of judgment. Here's the thing. He wants to give life. He doesn't just want you to feel bad. He doesn't want you to feel condemned. He doesn't just want you to have information. He wants you to have life. But here's the thing. The way that we respond to his word determines whether we receive life or condemnation. If we reject his word, then we reject him. And if we reject him, then guess what? We get condemnation. Is it because God wants to condemn us? Absolutely not. God is offering us life over and over and over again. He continues to give us the words of life. He continues to give us opportunities to repent of sin. He continues to do it. God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. Why? Because he is a loving God. He does not rejoice, the Bible says, in the death of the wicked. It's not like God is up in heaven saying, okay, yep, you're going to hell. I'm excited. Angels sing, they're going to hell. It's not like that, right? Like there's some kind of chorus in heaven, you know, like the big dong or something like that. Like that, that, that isn't what's happening. Jesus died in our place so that way we could do what? So we could experience eternal life. So we could be saved from our sin. He doesn't want us to die and be separated from him. He wants us to be reunited with him. He wants us to be reconciled with him. He wants us to have relationship with him. That's why he gave his son so that way we could have life. And the reality is we cannot have life apart from the son. See, that's the thing people don't like. Everybody wants life, everybody wants blessing, but nobody wants the son. I want, I, I want, I want, I want blessing, but I'm going to earn blessing. Sorry, someone already earned that for you because you never deserve. Oh, but I'm good. Listen, by whose standards you're good, we, we know that. 
We don't earn it. He earned it for us. That's the beauty of this gospel. He earned it for us. And so Jesus continually offers life. Third thing, I ask you to repeat this after me. Say, Jesus' sources of affirmation to his claims are a call to our devotion. Jesus' sources of affirmation to his claims are a call to our devotion. Now listen, it's always about action with me. It's always about, okay, what's the next step? Like, what is he calling me to do? I mean, what is he expecting of me, right? He's communicated some stuff. And see, what I want to say is this. It's one thing to make claims, but to point out sources that affirm your claims is a different thing. You see, y'all know those people that are name droppers, right? Hello, right? They talk to you about everybody they know. Right? They, 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 tell you, they tell you all the stuff they've done, right? They, they tell you all their accolades, right? They tell you everything that's happened. But then when you really like some, and I'm not saying everyone's like that, you know, some people, they, they, they can back it up, right? But there's other people, they're just name droppers. They just talk about all the stuff that they've done. And then when you really get down to know, like, uh, no. Like, yeah, that person, they just, they, 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 they just blow a lot of smoke, right? You know, like that's, like those things occur in our lives. You know, you, you know some of us have family members that are like that. Hello? I call them the, you know, the, 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 the movie family members. They're always like in a movie somewhere. You know, there's some kind of gangster from a movie or there's some kind of rich guy from a movie. Or it's never their life. It's always someone else's life that they're living, right? They, they make claims, right? They, 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 they say stuff about themselves, but there is no validity to their claims. There is something lacking in their claims to fame, right? And so when we look at Jesus... We find that he makes these claims, but then he also goes through and he goes and points out who is going to affirm my claims. Where do I get the confirmation of my claims? See, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6, you can write that down as a reference, as well as Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15. I'll say those again. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6 and Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15. These are scriptures that Jesus was pointing them to. When he was talking about the stuff that we're going to look at, he was pointing them to those scriptures. Why? Because those scriptures said that if you were going to bring an accusation against someone, you couldn't accept an accusation just because you didn't like a person. And you know what? I'm going to come and say, like, I have a problem with an elder, right? And I decide I'm going to come and tell Mark something about her. Well, you know what? Mark shouldn't accept my accusation against an elder unless I get a few witnesses with me. Hello. That doesn't mean I should become a gossip either. Hello, somebody. Right? Some people think that that's like a license. Hey, just go start gossiping about people, talk about people's business, and then you go and get witnesses. That's not what I'm talking about, right? It's talking about like someone saw what happened, right? Like, you know, the reason why I had an issue with Anelda was because she smacked me for no reason, and other people saw that. Like, did you see her slap me? Not that I went and told people that were nowhere near. Hey, man, look at this red thing on my head. She slapped me, and, and it was Anelda. I just need you to come be a witness that you think she's violent, right? Like, she's got issues or something. I made a whole story about her. She's like, wow, this is terrible. I'm just saying, she's not like any of that. She's She's never done anything like that to me. Now, her kids, I don't know, but I'm just playing. So um, ultimately, ultimately, right, what happens is, you know, you couldn't just do that, right? You couldn't just, you know, go ahead and make someone, you know, make, make, make someone get a judgment against them just because you wanted to. No, there was a biblical way that God protected you and protected me, and it was by saying you have to have two or three witnesses in order to confirm or reject whatever's being accused. Well, Jesus goes on, and he's like, look, I want you guys to think back to this because that is where we're talking about. See, in light of these witnesses, there must be a response either of faith leading to life or rejection leading to death. So let's look at verses 31 to 47, and we're going to look at the witnesses. Jesus says this. He says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Verse 33, you have sent to John, this is speaking of John the baptizer, and he has borne witness of me. So first witness that he calls to the front is who? John. That's the first witness he calls. He said, yet I do not receive testimony from man. So he's saying, look, it's not from a man, but I say these things that you may be saved. And so again, why is Jesus calling on this witness? It's so that way these people that are hearing him can be saved. In verse 35, he says, he, speaking of John, was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. He goes on and he says in verse 36, he says, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, 
bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Okay, so we have two witnesses. The first witness is who? Say John. John is the first witness. The second witness is the work. Say Jesus works. So the first witness that communicates who Jesus is and confirms that he is deity, that he is God, is John the baptizer. The second thing that should be convincing are the works that he does. And then the third thing he says here, he says, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. And so the second one, say the Father. So the, so the third one, so we have John the baptizer, we have the works of Jesus, and then we have the Father as well who is witnessing, who is testifying that Jesus is who he says he is. Verse 38 will go on. He says, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. And look at verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures. Say the scriptures. And so we have four witnesses. The first one is John the baptizer. The second one is Jesus works. The third witness is the father. And the fourth witness is this or are the scriptures. He says, you search the scriptures. Look at this. He says, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. And so what is he saying to them? He's saying to them, he's saying, look, he said, you read this Bible, you read these scriptures, you memorize, you quote these scriptures because you think that there's salvation in them. And he wasn't denying that salvation was in them. What he was saying is these scriptures point to me. I am the source of salvation. I am the source of life. All that the scriptures have been pointing to all of this time have been to bring you to me, and yet you're rejecting me. He goes on and says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Verse 41 says, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. And so what he's saying here is you're looking at these scriptures, and I'm not going to be the one to condemn you. The scriptures that you say you hold so dear, they're going to condemn you. The scriptures that you say that you are so profound in and that you know so well, those are going to be the ones that condemn you. And verse 46 says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. In verse 47, but if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe in my words? See, they said they had faith, but they really didn't have faith. See, here's the thing that you have to see. These Pharisees were no different than this guy by the pool. Are you hearing me? They were in a place of faith, and yet none of them really had faith. They were in a place where there could be healing, there could be salvation, there could be wholeness, but they were the same. The Pharisees had all the scriptures. The guy by the pool, he had all the superstition. Both of them had something that they could have staked their claim in and put their faith in, and yet none of them had this faith that was able to get them to where God wanted them to be. Jesus comes on the scene, and he communicates to them who he is. And so here, here I am. I'm closing with this. The question for us is, are we standing firm in our faith upon Jesus' claims and devoted in our lives to obedience to his word? See, we looked at all of these things in the scriptures, right? We looked at 47 verses here. We looked at 47 verses. In these 47 verses, we have received clear revelation, reminders of who Jesus is, of who God is. We've seen that Jesus' miracle, it points to what? His deity. We saw Jesus' claims are clear that he calls himself God the Son. We see that clear there. And then we see the witnesses that affirm his testimony, right? So we see crystal clear that Jesus' miracles, his claims, and the affirmations of who he is all point to us to what? We have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. You're either going to stand firm upon, fa upon faith and who he is, or you're going to waver. And the other one is, with this, this the other thing, is that you can say you believe, and, I, and, I, and Pastor Chad quoted this last week. I thought that that was so cool. He said, um, you're in the category of demons if you just believe. Hello. Because demons believe, and some of us, we say we believe, but we don't tremble. At least they're moving. Hello. Right? Some of us, oh, I believe. We ain't moving nothing. We're not trembling. We're not doing anything. See, because it's not, about, it's not about just believing or mental assent. It's about my life. Is my life demonstrating this faith that I have? So if you're in this place today and you don't have a lifestyle that shows faith, 
And God offers you his grace and calls you to repent of your sin and calls you to trust him, calls you to call upon him. Because the Bible says that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So the scriptures say, so call upon him. Recognize, God, my life does not demonstrate obedience. My life does not demonstrate. And if you're a person that's in here and you're a believer, and you know what? You just waver in your faith. You can repent as well and trust him and say, God, help me to be more firm in my faith and to be a more bold witness to live for the glory and the honor of Jesus. And I told you I would ask you this question because for those of you in here that say, hey, man, I'm good. I'm committed to obedience to the Lord. My other question is this. Whose faith are you building? Because we can say all day I have faith and I'm obedient and you know, I'm a good wife or I'm a good husband or I'm a good child or I'm a good parent. I'm a good employee or a good employer. You know, we can say all of those things, but my question is this. Whose faith are you building? In other words, whose life are you speaking into? Because God has called us all to be disciple makers. Amen? So I'll stand on our feet and let's pray together. Hallelujah. Grab your neighbor's hand with me and let's pray. I want you to pray one for another. And I don't know, I know this, I know that we covered a lot of ground and, and, and those in that time that we were together here. And I know that the Holy Spirit spoke to your life in some way. I don't know how he spoke to you, but I know that he did. And if you're in this place and you say, man, that the Lord really spoke to you and, and you really would like someone to pray for you in some way, shape, or form, I just want you to squeeze your neighbor's hand and that way they know. And if someone squeezes your hand beside you, I'm going to ask you to, to pray for that person beside you. All right, I'm going to ask you to pray for them and that God would do a great work in their heart, that God would um, build their faith up, that God would help them to be the disciple and the disciple maker that he's called us to be and just, just lift them up before you. So if you need prayer, squeeze that hand beside you and then I'm going to pray a general prayer right now. Father, thank you so much, God, for this day that you've given us, God. Thank you for bringing us together as your brothers, as your sons and your daughters, as brothers and sisters in this place. God, I thank you for each person that has heard your word today. Father God, you know where we all are, my God. You know where we all stand before you, God. Father, I pray for the ones that do not know you. I pray that they would be, 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 be bare before you right now, God, that they would realize that you are looking at them not with eyes of disgust and hate, but with eyes of mercy. You are calling them to repent of sin, Lord God. You're calling them to trust you, Jesus. I pray for those, Lord God, that are your sons and daughters, my God, that are struggling in their faith, Lord God, I just pray today, Lord God, that they would see your compassion and your love and that they would recognize the truths of your claims and that they would submit their lives unto you, God. And I pray, Father God, lastly, for those of us, Lord God, that are not necessarily wavering in our faith, but God, we have neglected, Lord Jesus, to make disciples of others, my God. We have neglected to share the gospel with others. We have neglected to share the truth of your word, Lord God, with others. We have neglected to pour into the lives of other people, God, let us be those who are pouring in to this next generation, Father God. I pray that you would be glorified in all of our lives, and I ask you, Father God, in Jesus' mighty name, for your blessing and for your grace upon us as we continue to move forward as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' great name, someone said, give God a hand of praise.